So I don't know if it's true for you or not, men, for all the other men in the room, and ladies too. I guess this could, this could apply across both genders. Um, I don't know if you ever had like a dream girl or a dream guy. Like if I could just be in a relationship with them, like my life, everything else is, is icing on the cake at that point. Like if, I, if, that, if that could happen for me, Everything else in my life just wouldn't even matter as much because that is the person that I would love nothing more than, than to be with for, for now and for maybe even for the rest of my life. I had one of those. And, uh, and her name was Erin Robinson. And we went to school together growing up. Uh, we, we were actually in kindergarten together. I didn't like her then. Um, <laughs> I don't think, because you know, girls were still icky back then. You know, it was icky, Ugh, girls. Um, but, but somewhere around um, you know, 10th grade, we were in high school together, had a lot of the same classes, and we were really good friends. But me, man, I wanted something more because this, this was my dream girl. And so I, I wrote letters and I, you know, I, I kicked my strongest game and I, I did all the things that you're supposed to do when you're trying to acquire the affections of a young lady your age. And, uh, and she said no. And um, so I gave up, you know, because uh, you know, players got to play, 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 play. That's Taylor Swift, by the way. Ta Taylor Swift said, player's going to play, 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 play. I thought I was a player, so I, I couldn't have a rejection hang on my record for too long. So I moved on. And uh, I dated some other girls and had some other relationships. And um, as fate would have it, um, Aaron Robinson is rarely on time for many things. And so she waited until uh, I was already destined, determined, contract signed, and on my way to Marine Corps boot camp at Paris Island in South Carolina to, to make her affections known for me, but not to me, to a friend of mine who told her, don't tell him because he won't go. And he was probably right. So she didn't tell me and he didn't tell me. I had to find out at boot camp. Like, I'm already there. I don't know if y'all know this about the Marine Corps or not, but they won't let you leave boot camp because you got a crush. <laughs> so, uh, so we began writing letters. And uh, I was like, hey, I heard this through the grapevine because it was, it was a weird, it's another story for another day, but weird transition as to how all that played out where I found out she was interested. So I wrote her a letter and I was like, hey, like little birdie told me that, you know, you like me and well, I've liked you for a long, long time now. And like, is this true? And she was like, yeah. And so we, we kind of started dating from Marine Corps boot camp <laughs> through letters. And so I, I came home uh, after Marine Corps boot camp. For those of you who don't know, you get 10 days of, of leave where they give you a 10-day break to go home and see your family after boot camp. And you got 10 days to do that. And then they send you off to what's called MCT, Marine Combat Training. And so I had this 10-day window. Now, y'all, in this 10-day window, I had 10 days to make the woman of my dreams mine. I got 10 days to seal the deal. And so I asked her for a date and we went on a date and uh, well, not went on a date. We actually, I brought her back to the, my, my parents' house where I was still, I was still my residence of, you know, 
of record or whatever. And so she came back to the house. I had like home cooked gourmet meal. I had friends who were musicians playing like romantic music. It was candlelight. It was roses. It was the best meal. It was great fireplace going candles on the sconces on the wall because my mom was, you know, she liked sconces on the wall like some women her age do. And like there's, there's candles everywhere. Like it was, it was gorgeous and it was beautiful. And it was, I pulled out all the stops. Spent all the money. It was expensive to pull this off. It was spent all the money, like all the things to, to seal the deal. And, and we've, we've, been, we've started dating. We've been dating since that day. Um, we got married at some point along the way too, but we, we've still been dating. And, and I, I was able to make the woman of my dreams my wife. Now, we, we lived apart for the first year of our marriage because I was still in the Marine Corps and she was finishing up college. And so even after we were married, we were still in a long distance relationship, which is kind of weird. Um, so I would, I would come home on the weekends to, to see her from the base that I was stationed at a base in North Carolina. So a four and a half hour drive home. And so I came home every weekend to see my, 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 my girlfriend for a while, my fiance for a while, and eventually my wife for the last year that I was in the service. And so... You know, after you're married and you spend all week apart, when you get to see each other on the weekends, um, particularly in your first year of marriage, uh, intimacy, passion, romance, it was on, Bubba. Like, it was just, it was good. Like, we got two days and then we got to spend five more days apart. So, like, it was, it was fun and it was passionate and it was awesome and wonderful, and then, um, then I came home. Like I got out of the Marine Corps about a year later. I came home and um, man, then it's kind of like we kind of got to have our honeymoon year in our second year. Like we, now we have a place of our own. Like we were staying, not staying with anybody else or whatever. Like, you know, we, when I was coming home, she was still living at home with her parents. And so that was a little weird. But um, anyway, so like now we have our own place and like it's unfettered. Like we, we have 100% total everyday access to each other and we're together all the time and it was glorious and it was wonderful and it was, it was intimate and it was passionate and the, 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 the sex life was great for that second year of marriage. It was awesome, it was wonderful. But over the years to follow, the, the few after that, um, as, as it tends to happen in marriages, we kind of settled in, got into routine and and kind of the, the mundane parts of life and the schedules and the busyness. And we didn't have kids yet, so we, we still had a lot of free time. But um, it was still, it was still a, frequent, maybe even for us to, to, to be engaged in intimate connection and relationship. It was still, it was there, but it, we kind of settled into routine. And as the, the years got longer and as we settled more into routine, the passion just kind of, it faded a little for a while. And then, um, and then we decided to try and have kids. And uh, if you know anything about trying um, to have kids, it kind of sucks the romance right out of sex, man. Just like, this is no longer like, oh my gosh, I gotta have you. No, this is a business transaction. <laughs> this is, we will on this day at this time for this purpose so that we can have kids. Like it is, it is scheduled. It, we didn't have a calendar, but it could have been calendared. Like this, 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 this is when it's gonna happen. Now, as a dude, I ain't complaining. Like, yeah, I'm not complaining that that was the case. But, but romance and intimacy, nah. -uh. It was like, hey, we got 10 minutes, so you gotta leave for work. Let's go, get in the bed. Like, it, was, it was very transactional, but it wasn't very romantic. 
And then that was a long process for us. It took us two and a half years to conceive and, and have a kid. And so for two and a half years, that was kind of our relationship sexually and intimately. It was, it was as much business as it was fun. And then we had, we had a kid. Um, and y'all know how like, when you have kids and like just the sexual passion in your relationship just skyrockets because kids like these libido boots, they don't, they don't require a lot of attention and they're, they're, they don't require a lot of your time and effort. So like you got more time to spend with your... No, that's not the case at all. Like kids, man, they, they, they can be libido killers. Like they just squash it, right? Because, you know, somebody had a bad dream. It's like, well, let me put my clothes, you know, like, let me get dressed so I can come take care of the kid at, you know, whatever. Of course you can sleep with us. We didn't do that. We know the kids never slept with us. But um, anyway, like, so, and then we had kids. And so then we had another one, <laughs> two of them. And, and our relationship intimately just kind of, it never, it never like bottomed out. It was never awful. It was never absent. But it just didn't feel like that, that, that passionate first year, second year kind of intensity. And, and I'd be willing to bet that for a lot of us in the room who've been married for a while, my story probably has some similarities to your story. That the sex and sexuality just kind of became a, like, I mean, I guess, kind of a eh, meh kind of thing at times. And the problem with that is it doesn't mesh with what Jesus said about the, the life of a follower of Christ. Jesus said that our lives were, were, were in, in a relationship with him and lived out according to his plan would be full. They'd be, they'd be, he said it like this, John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said this, he said, the thief comes only, and this is, let, me, let me pause right here for just a second. I've, this is one of my favorite verses. I quote it all the time. I don't have to read it off a page. I quote John 10, 10 all the time because I believe Christians should be living the abundant full life. But this week, for whatever reason, this word jumped off the page, only. You guys know how we talk about finding absolute words in scripture, that those help us identify truths in scripture, that the only purpose of our enemy, Satan. The only thing he cares to do are to steal and to kill and to destroy. But then Jesus said, but I came in contrast, causing the, or yeah, contrast. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, now last week we talked a lot about God's design that God has a plan and an outline for the life of his children, of those who are followers of Christ. There is a way that God has designed life to work. And when we do things God's way, when we participate in the way that God drew it up, that it just has all of these benefits for our life. And I think the two things are connected, that if we will do life God's way, we will experience the abundance of life that Jesus promised. Because the one who designed it gets to what? Gets to define it, right? There were three of you here last week. Awesome, thanks for participating. The one who designed it gets to define it. And God has defined the way that life should work. Now, I took that promise to heart. And so I began this, this journey of investigating what scripture has to say 
about my life. This wasn't even for y'all. I wasn't writing a sermon. I wanted to figure out what God had to say about the romantic, intimate relationship between a husband and a wife because I believed there was something I was missing. If the life of a follower of Christ is to be full and abundant and joy-filled and I'm supposed to enjoy my wife, something for us was it's just a touch off. We've had a great relationship the, the whole of our marriage, but there's been times where it just felt a little less. And this was one of those, those times for me a bunch of years ago now where I felt like there's got to be something that, that I've missed or that we've missed, something that we're not doing God's way. And so I began this journey into scripture to see what God has to say about marriage relationships and particularly about my sex life. And this is what I found. Genesis chapter four, verse one is the first recorded sexual encounter between a husband and wife in scripture. And it says this. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived. So therefore we can deduce that the word knew there means sex because that's how you conceive if y'all didn't go to biology class. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now I really wanted to have some fun with that verse because it sounds like something like Medea would say, like if y'all watched any of the Medea movie, oh, the Lord done help me find a man. She's not talking about Adam, all right? She didn't say that the Lord has helped her find a man like she got Adam. She's actually talking about a man child. She's talking about Cain. That's the proper context. I wanted to have some fun with it, but I can't in good conscience tell you that's what it means because it doesn't. She's saying, I've, I've been blessed with a, a man child. She's talking about Cain. She's gotten a man child with the help of the Lord, but that's not the part I want to focus on anyway. So it doesn't matter that that's not right. Um, what I want to focus on is that word knew. The, the Adam knew Eve, because we, we've already talked in this series about the reality that, that, that a sexual encounter between a husband and wife is the best way to create intimacy and, and connection between a husband and a wife. And this word knew here, it actually shows up a few verses before the beginning of chapter four in Genesis. It shows up when it says that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge that they ate the forbidden fruit that they weren't supposed to eat from. And, and then God says they, that they, that Adam has become like us knowing that he has a, a knowledge. The, the Hebrew word that's used there is the word yada, Y-A-D-A in our English translation. It's the word yada. It means to know. And it's talking about this infinite amount of knowledge. Prior to eating of the tree of knowledge, Adam and Eve didn't know about their, their own nakedness. They didn't know sin. They didn't know shame. They were, they were ignorant to, to all things unrelated or all things related to anything negative at all. They had a perfect picture and a perfect relationship with God. And all of a sudden when they eat, they, they knew, they yada, that they were naked and they became Ashamed. It's talking about that deep knowledge. And, and then a few verses later, it, it says that Adam knew that there was knowledge, that he yada Eve. It's talking about this deep personal knowledge of his wife that 
that just played out as sexual interaction. It, it, was, the, the, it was the knowing of Eve that led to the, the sexual encounter with Eve that bore Cain. So, men, today, I'm going to share with you three things that women want. All right, I'm trying to help you, men. If the passion has faded and waned in your marriage, I want to help you by unveiling three things that women want, with the first being this. What women want, they want to be known. They want you to, they want you to know them. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Peter says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in and watch this, in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers not, may not be hindered. Now, let me, a couple things here. Um, first of all, when it says weaker vessel there, that is not weaker as in lower value. That is weaker as in delicate. Think oil drum versus flower vase. All right, men, you're the oil, like just beat it with a hammer, it's fine, you're good. Women are the vase, they're delicate. They should be protected and treated delicately. That's what Peter is saying. He's not saying weaker as in like, man, they're, they're so weak. They just need your help. Like they're, ne they're never gonna make it on their, that's not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying delicate, weaker. All right. Uh, now that's the first thing I wanted to point out just for clarity. And then the second thing, Peter just commanded men to understand their wives, which feels like an impossible task, honestly, if I'm being honest. I, mean, I don't know how in a directive from scripture I can be commanded to understand, because I don't. And we're, in, we're into year 22, I'm still lost. But the intention is that I should be trying. That I should try, that I should attempt, I should make every effort to know my wife. Do you know how you find out things about your wife? You ask, you ask questions, you have conversation, you ask the question. There's something that you want to know. If you want to know more about her, ask the questions. What, what inspires you? What encourages you? What, what are you afraid of? What fears you? Have the conversations to, to know your wife, men. There, a bunch of years ago, there was this, uh, this was a website. It was called Let Me Google That For You. And, and what this website was designed to do is that people would either on social media or in a conversation or in a text thread or something, they would ask a question that, that the information of, which, of the content of the question they ask is readily available on Google. Like, like, why are you asking me? Ask Google. And so as a snarky way to respond, and if you're a friend of mine, you're going to get the snark. That's just all there is to it. You ask a question that Google knows the answer to. If you're asking me a question that Google knows the answer to, I'm probably going to point you to Google. And my snarky way of doing that a bunch of years ago was this website called Let Me Google That For You. You go to Let Me Google That For You. You type in their question to a Google search bar, and then you send them that link. And when they open that link, it, all it does is it opens Google, it types in the search thing and it searches for it and then it says was it really that hard <laughs> that's how I feel about men who don't talk to their wives 
It's not that hard. If you ask, I guarantee she'll tell you something. Just ask. Have the kind, if you don't want to talk to your wife, why'd you get married in the first? Like, why are you married if you didn't want to talk to them? Ask the questions they want to be known. I was, uh, I was challenged by a Christian leader a bunch of years ago to do this very thing in regards to sex. He challenged everybody that was listening. I don't know if it was a podcast or a sermon, but he said, ask your wife, what, what turns you on? Well, what things do I do that make you want me? I thought I already knew the answer, right? Look good, go to the gym, lose the belly, like, you know, flex in front of me, you know, walk around naked. I, I thought I knew. I was wrong. So I asked, hey, like, what, what makes you want me? And this is what she said. She said, I like it when you help out with things around the house. <laughs> Y'all, look, I thought, I thought I was being played, right? She, my wife is taking my desire for sex to get me to do chores. Like she, she saw an opportunity to get some housework done. And she said, no, 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 I, I'm serious. I'm serious. Now there was a, there was a guy uh, that did a small group study that some of us, few of us went through a bunch of years ago. It was called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And he explained the differences between a female psychology and a man's psychology. Men's psychology, everything is very compartmentalized. Like I got a work box, I got a home box, I got a like sports box, I got a like veg out box, we call it the nothing box. Like I ain't nothing in there. Like I'm just looking into space, the nothing, right? So women, not at all the same. Think like compartment plate, like a, for men, it's like a compartment plate. Like my, 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 my corn doesn't touch the beans, doesn't touch the meat. Like it's very, very compartmentalized. Women, it's like a plate of spaghetti. Everything touches. It's all connected. And so this is what I learned. This is what I learned. A, a messy or a house in disarray made my wife feel unsettled and discontent. And so it was really hard for her to think sexual thoughts when the house was in disorder. And so what I learned was that if I wanted a more active sexual life, I had to get out of the gym and get into the kitchen, right? I stopped flexing and started washing stuff, right? Like if this is what turns you on, that's what I'm going to do. Like I'm not trying, like man, forget the gym. I don't like going anyway. Now, that's true for her. Might not be true for your wife, men. I take a guess it's probably at least a little bit true. You know how you find out? You ask her, hey, what are the things that I do that turn you on the most? And if you want to have more sex, whatever she says, do that. <laughs> Second thing what women want, they wanna be served. And don't make that mean something that it doesn't. They, they want you to serve them. Ephesians um, chapter five, verses 22 through 25, it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, 
and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Husbands, watch this, love your wives. And then he gives a, a clarification as to how. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is the, this is the biblical model for the structure of a household. That the, the husband is supposed to be the head of the household. He's supposed to be the leader in your house, but he is not the dictator lead by force. Everything is under my command and my control in the house. That's not true. He is a servant leader in the same way that Christ served us by giving his life for us to demonstrate his love for us. Men, you are to love your wives as Christ loved us and gave his life. So we are to serve our wives as they submit to our servant leadership. So here's what that looks like, sounds like. Wife submits and allows you to lead and take, take the, the head and the, the front for your family. And then in her submission to you, you, you provide, you protect, you care for her needs even above your own. The first thing you do with her submission is choose to use her submission to serve her. That's the mutual submission picture that we see in Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. Now, men in, in my past, they love to throw up that submission thing. <laughs> Wives are supposed to submit, 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 submit. And I would offer this thought to you. It might have been worth writing it down. If you have to demand submission, you don't deserve submission. And if you want to be the leader of your household, then you need to be somebody worth following. You should serve your wife. Her needs above your own. If somebody's going to sacrifice, it's going to be you, not her. Lead as one worthy of being followed. Now, ladies, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume that there's something sexy about a man who leads and leads well and assures that his family is cared for, protected, provided for, and that you are loved and served by him. I think that would be attractive to you. If it's not, don't tell your husband because I'm trying to help him. Third thing, what women want. They want to be wanted. They want to be wanted. There are, there are two books in the Bible that don't mention God by name. One of them is Esther. The other is the Song of Solomon. And so I've often wondered, like, why are they even in the Bible if they don't talk about God? And they, they don't talk about God by name, but God is present in everything that's going on. And I believe that God gave us the book of Song of Solomon to show us in this most difficult relationship that exists, husband to wife, it's hard work. It's hard work to be married. I think we get this beautiful picture in the Song of Solomon about what, it, what, what proper courtship looks like, what proper intimacy and romance looks like, what proper conversation looks like. We're given this beautiful picture of an interaction between Solomon and his betrothed as to, to what it looks like to be in a romantic relationship. So in Song of Solomon, Chapter one, the first three verses, and then we'll, we'll grab some others after that. So um, Song of Solomon chapter one is the introduction to this, this courtship and this relationship between Solomon and his beloved. Verse one, 
the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. So that's the book. Now this is, the, this is his, the next verse is his beloved speaking. She says this. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Just, man, I wanna just point this out to you. In the first three verses of this courtship and relationship thing in the, first of, in the book of Song of Solomon, she mentions his cologne, your fragrant oils. Look, man, like you want your wife to be attracted? Take a shower, brush your teeth, use the deodorant, and maybe a little bit of cologne, you know? Groom your face. If it's a beard, groom it. If it's, you don't have a luxurious, wonderful beard, then shave. Like, keep yourself up, man. Like, that shows her, I want you to find me attractive. Does it not? If you just let it go, she's my wife and it's owed to me, I deserve it. If that's your mentality, there's a reason your sex life sucks. I don't know if I'm supposed to say sucks. Jonah, can I say sucks? All right, I got a thumbs up. I can say sucks. Skip down, verse six. Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. I don't think that I've ever met a woman that didn't have some measure and some level of insecurity. And if you are going to be a good and a godly husband to your wife, it is your job to dispel discredit and eradicate any insecurities that she has. And Solomon does just that. Look with me, verse six. This is her again speaking. She says, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Let me, let me pause just for a second. Um, now in our culture, like having a tan is a good thing. Hey, ladies, spending money on tanning beds to get fake sun, spray stuff to make you look like you've been in the sun when it's 14 degrees outside, I don't, whatever. I, I'll get off the soapbox. In this culture, the opposite was true. Okay, to be dark, tan, whatever in their culture was seen as not beautiful, the, the, more, the more white or untan, whatever the opposite of tan is. Whatever, whatever op, you were, the, the, the whiter you were, the lighter that you were was more attractive. And so she's saying, don't look at me because I'm, I'm tan and I know that I look awful because my, my mother's sons, they made me work the fields. And so I was always outside in the sun. I, I can't help it, but I hate that I'm dark. She's very insecure about the way that she looks. She goes on, tell me you whom my soul loves where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? So that's her speaking. She's like, hey, tell me where you're gonna be hanging out because I wanna be wherever you are. That's what she's saying, okay? Wherever you take your flocks, that's where I wanna go. I want you to watch Solomon's response, man. What? Watch the game. Man, Solomon had game. Watch, oh, it's like it's textbook. Textbook game. Verse eight. If you do not know, O oh, most beautiful among women, 
following the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. This, this, you want to know where I'm at? Follow the path, you'll find me. Then watch verse nine. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Man, that's sexy. You don't even know why. Let me tell you why. <laughs> this is what he just said. He said, you are like the one woman among all the stallions. Every man wants to be with you. That's what he just told her. You're like the one mare among all the Pharaoh's stallions and his chariots. You're, you're the one. And if you're the only one, you're the one that everybody wants. But you're mine. That's game. Everybody wants you and I have you and I know how valuable that is. You don't worry about how dark your complexion is. Baby, you are most beautiful among women, a mare among stallions. And I love that you're mine. Guys, remember, remember when you were dating? Remember when she was the one you had to have? And maybe you, like me, pulled out all the stops, all the things, and you pursued and you tried and you spent money and you cleaned up and you did all the things because you were terrified that she might get away. And I know that for some of you, either in the room or watching online, wherever, wherever you're listening to this, some of you, man, you got married and you felt like you were owed something. And you didn't have to try anymore. And that is not at all God's way of doing marriage. It's not enough to be males when I ask you to be men. Because this is what's true. It is hard work to be a good husband, to pursue your wife to consistently and frequently pull out all the stops to make her know how wanted she is. It's a lot of hard work. If you're scared of a little hard work, you're probably not much of a man. And besides, anything that is worth having comes as the result of hard work. After all, there is a really derogatory term for women who give it away without a lot of effort on the part of the man. We, we, have, we have a word for that in our culture. And I don't think any of you wanna be married to one of them. So if you married one that was gonna take some work, rejoice in that, that she's not the other thing that I probably shouldn't say. I've, I'm okay with sucks, I'm not, I'm not saying the other thing. But, but, but work, you, you, you wanted to pursue her for a reason because she's not that thing. So be the man that pursues the kind of wife you're grateful to have. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. God, we thank you for the content of your word. And God, I know that the, this content, it can be funny and awkward and all the things, but God, it's also true. And I'd ask that for every man under the sound of my voice in the room or, or watching with us online or even at a later date, that God, we would commit today to be the kind of husbands that you desire us to be. That our love and relationship with you, God, would inform our relationship with our wives. God, help us to be men. 
Help us to pursue. Give us the boldness to have the conversations, to get to know our wives in a way that matters. God, get us out of the mundane. Restore and renew the passion, the romance, the intensity that we had when we were dating. Because God, I believe that that honors you and I believe that that leads us into the full abundant life that Jesus promised. Father, we thank you that we have access to your word and we have that and we have the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit in us because of the relationship we have with you through Jesus, your son. It's in his name I pray, amen and amen. 